We've talked a lot this week about the massive number of people fleeing the fighting in Ukraine. It's at 4.1 million now. There's a website the UN hosts to fill you in on the updates of those numbers. Today, it's up to 4.1 million. That's in just five weeks. That's an astonishing number, even by the scale of people fleeing other conflicts, such as the war in Syria. There's an even greater number of people displaced inside the country or trapped in what is defined as a conflict zone. 4 million people have left, 6 million are displaced, 12 million are believed to still be trapped in the fighting or in areas where there is a risk of being hurt. So there are many efforts underway to help those still in harm's way get to safety. And one man who's now turned his attention to that mission is Dave Lavery. If you've heard his name before, it's because you may remember him as being the lone Canadian at Kabul's International Airport when the Taliban seized control of the capital and the country. Canadian Dave, as he became known, filled that gap after embassy staff left on those evacuation flights and in the four days before Canadian forces arrived to help. He helped more than 100 Canadian passport and visa holders escape the country amid all that chaos. Well, now the former founding member of JTF2, which is the elite counterterrorism unit of the Canadian forces and founder of Raven Ray Resources, is turning his attention to Ukraine, where he and a team have set up in Poland and are already working to get people out and move supplies in. Dave Lavery joins me now from, or Dave Lavery rather, joins me now from Dubai. Dave, thanks so much for being here. My pleasure, Ben. How are you doing? Good. Um, I, I guess I should ask, how are things going in Poland? I understand you embarked on a new um, initiative, essentially, if we can use the word that way, of trying to find, locate, and, and, res- and save at least um, interpreters that have worked for the Canadian government inside Ukraine. Well, I mean, uh, like everybody, uh, you know, we were all busy doing whatever we were doing anywhere in the world. And in this case, I was in Turkey. Uh, linking up with my son for the first time since the evacuation of Afghanistan and meeting our cats that we had evacuated that were quarantined in UK that were being able to be brought to Turkey. So we were there trying to relax and then the war uh, kicked off. Um, So then we were getting calls and then we started putting our plans together because as you know, uh, we're still heavily involved with the Afghan campaign and we're supporting the great NGO Amalora who takes the lead on the, uh, you know, the Canadian evacuations, et cetera. So a few of our friends and partners now uh, with CanAid, uh, we decided let's, uh, let's do what we do well and do best. And let's provide our skill sets with helping, you know, the people. Um, and we understand that it was going to be, a, it's going to be a different setup towards Afghanistan. So we, we stated, let's do a business feasibility study. Let's get into Poland Let's do a ground uh, analysis. Let's find out who's who. Let's venture into Ukraine. Let's see what's in Ukraine for us t- to assist. How can we assist? How can we forge forward? Uh, what is the supply routes like? Uh, what is the demand? What is it actually like and what's required? So it was a really you know, fast uh, pace. We went in for the first seven, 10 days got a great understanding on what was going to happen, was able to move a few families here and there, uh, bring supplies in, get them to the end user in Ukraine, which was important, you know, especially medical supplies, food supplies, baby supplies, um, et cetera. And then try to link up with a lot of people that were coming in and wanted to volunteer and help out. 
and then understand what would that actually look like? Because as you probably have been reading, there's a lot of Canadians, a lot of international ex-military guys in country wanting to do their thing uh, to support the Ukraines and not just the Ukraines, the better cause and, you know, uh, this injustice that is happening. So it's, it's been, it's been a whirlwind. Uh, so that's phase one. And then phase two, our other partners came back in. We're taking a little bit of a break uh, just to grab some administration, try to raise some more donor funds, the donor awareness, supplies. And then I'm going to be flying back in uh, very soon to Poland, where we have a base close to the border uh, in Ustrykidon. Probably uh, made a bad, uh, a bad uh, pronouncing of that name, but very close. And then we have a stage area inside uh, Ukraine, close to Lviv, and then we're staging uh, further to the east of Ukraine. So that's where we're at right now. We're moving some vulnerable people. And as you know, they're mostly uh, all females, uh, young kids, and some elderly, but from our accounts, normally the elderly, they do not come back. They want to stay where they're at. And it's sort of sad to see that family split and leave the moms and dads. They don't want to leave. They want to stay at, stay there and they're staying there. So that's what's actually happening. I, I tried to condense it as quick as I could. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I guess one of the things that some of the early, uh, just when you first arrived, there was this attempt in, in this case to at least try to track down people who had worked for the Canadian government as interpreters, similar to what you'd done in Afghanistan, I, I gather though it is a very different environment and a very different situation. There aren't as many interpreters, or aren't as many people who worked uh, for the Canadian government. But why was it important to uh, to try to find and help them? Well, it's just like Afghan. You know, uh, anybody who's assisted and served and you know stepped up to help our our military, our government, uh, we owe it to them, regardless uh, who they've served with. And yes, we have been able to get a few of them out. We have two of them on our team right now. We were able to, to really get them out of a tricky spot and act more as a, you know, a, a counselor, um, you know, a 911 receptionist, you know, during really significant times, getting them from point A to point B, telling them what to do, where to go, get down, there's shelling going on, take this bus, go to this train station. And those were interpreters uh, that, that were working for our military. And we've got two of them with us and we're looking. And you're absolutely right. You know, there, there, there's not as many, but there are still folks on our, our records that we're still trying to help. But we made it very clear. We're not going just, we're not out there just looking for um, a specific, you know, category of people. Anybody that we can, especially if we go into country with supplies and we have seats open, we're going to take anybody we can take across the border. The, the the people of Poland have been phenomenal. They're fantastic with the support mechanism. And for the most part, that's almost everywhere in Europe right now. But Poland, that's where we're operating out, 12 kilometers, 13 kilometers from the border. And uh, we have a great relationship with the township and the mayor and all those people and watching what they're doing. So we're going to go into country, uh, help out as much as we can, and then come on back with, with folks that want to come on back. And if they want to try to get to Canada, we'll try to help them uh, with the process. There is a good process uh, that has started um, and we will help and guide. And if those that want to carry on with, you know, other countries such as Spain, which we've done already, they'll carry on to Spain or, or UK or Germany or France. Yeah. How is the um, how is the coordination on the ground going? Because, of course, we're hearing lots of different 
initiatives that are happening from different people in different places. Uh, but how is it coordinated? Or how are you finding the coordination? And how are you able to fit into it or, 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 take, or sort of not fit into it if need be? Well, I mean, there isn't, there isn't one coordination body right now running everything and saying you've got X number of families here and there. You have so many good people. You've got thousands of people in the country and you've got hundreds of NGOs and hundreds of different other people trying to do the same thing. And with that, you got great networks. And that was the beauty of getting in there in their early stages and building up a good network. Uh, proof of concept is very important that you don't have fly-by-nights just coming in to grab a t-shirt and say, hey, look at look what we did and, you know, uh, try to raise as much money, but come out with a little, you know, a, a small end and just walk away with that. Um, so it's good to be on the ground. It's good to have those networks. We have we have different distribution groups and they'll they'll yell out and they'll say, hey, listen, we've got a family of 20 in, in area X. Does anybody have seats to move them out? And we'll put up our hands and say, yeah, we are. We're in the area and we can get them out. That's the type of network that we have right now and coordination cell that we have right now. I'm speaking with Dave Labor. He's a founding member of JTF2, the elite counterterrorism unit of the Canadian Forces. He's founder of Raven Ray Resources. And right now, after spending uh, the later summer working almost on his own to get uh, many people out of Afghanistan after the fall of Kabul uh, is right now orchestrating something similar uh, from Poland in Ukraine to try to get uh, people out of that country as well, including people who work for the Canadian government in the past. When we come back, we'll talk a bit more about Afghanistan because it's back in the news this week. Afghan interpreters here in Canada on a hunger strike, a one-day hunger strike to try to protest the slow movement of visas for their families. We'll get to that after this. I'm back with Dave Lavery. He's a founding member of JTF2, the elite counterterrorism unit of the Canadian Forces. He's the founder of Raven Ray Resources and has worked very hard over the last uh, year, uh, six months at least, to try to bring people out of conflict zones, specifically people who work for the Canadian government, but also others. Uh, that work began in Afghanistan uh, last year and is also now continuing in Ukraine this year. Dave, tell me a bit about uh, just the differences between the situation in Kabul, as you knew it, uh, what you described in other interviews as a very chaotic situation and what you're experiencing right now and what is sort of an active uh, conventional war in Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, we, we get that, you know, we get that question all the time. Oh, what are the differences? <coughs> Excuse me. How can we compare, you know, the two? Well, you can't compare the two. The only thing that's comparable is the disastrous results and the events themselves, the significant event that takes toll on the families, the disruption, you know, bringing people out of their comfort zone so fast and having them, you know, having them run for their lives with little to nothing of possessions and not knowing where to go, who's going to look after them, etc. So I guess that comparison is there. Now, the enemy is completely different. The enemy we're dealing with now is, is a dangerous, sophisticated enemy that we just don't know what their end results and capabilities are. Not to say the other enemy, you know, wasn't, wasn't dangerous because they were, but it's, it's, this has impacted global affairs in a different way, obviously, than the Afghan campaign did. The, the actual comparison right now is you see more people engaged, not wanting to flee and, and run away not to say that the Afghans didn't want to fight for their country, but the people of Ukraine, they're not leaving their country. And the big difference is their male population is staying in and fighting. So that is a big difference. 
and um, you know, and and the the effect that's actually happening on the people right now with the shelling, the continuous shelling, the Afghans didn't were not exposed during this conflict, anyways. At this point of time, it was a horrific event. It's something that I will never erase from my memory. I can't get the way the smell, the taste, the visuals, you know, the, the, the constant hum of thousands of people in desperation and crying. You just can't get away from that scene in Afghanistan. Yeah, Dave, I was going to ask you about that because we had we interviewed two interpreters this week, former interpreters or representatives of them um, who are still fighting to bring their families here to Canada. They uh, Obviously, the situation in country is still very dangerous for them. Uh, and you saw that firsthand. Uh, take me back to Kabul a bit, and, and and what would you think would be happening now, and how quickly do we have to get them out of there? Well, it, exactly. I mean, Afghanistan is is very uncertain right now. You have the de facto authorities in place, you know, trying. To, they inherited a country so fast. I think it surprised them. And with inside that government right now, I think they're still unease how they're going to actually settle. How are they going to come to grips? And you can see that right now. I mean, stricter laws and, you know, girls not being able to go to school, shutting down certain things, uh, having regulated dress. Men, you know, working in the government has to have, you know, certain, uh, you know, uh, demeanor, beards, etc. So. I mean, I, th- I, you know, when you when you look at what's actually happening in Afghanistan right now, there's a desperate state that continues. I mean, it was a desperate times. People do desperate things. And now criminality is so high, you know, it's it's causing a lot of grief for a lot of people. So the uncertainty in Afghanistan is certainly there. The people that are waiting, the applicants that have been waiting so long for the process to carry on from IRCC to get them out of country or to support them, that is demoralizing a lot of our Afghan friends. And, and we want to make it very clear right now with the team of Amalora and uh, and a lot of other folks, we haven't forgot about the Afghan campaign. We're doing, still doing the best we can, but we need the support. I mean, the government needs to stand up throw a lot more support financially, resource-wise, give us biometrics, give us the capability on the ground so we can help, and let's have some political resolve. Let's, let's work with the de facto government. Let's have a representing body about, you know, from Canada on the ground to fast-track a lot of this, and that will initiate a lot more, you know, uh, more end results. But I'd like to also say, you know, the good folks of Amalora are still working closely with IRCC, IRCC and Amalora and our team, they are getting people out. You know, we've, I think we moved close to almost 400 people, you know, uh, this month alone, or correction in March, over 400. And prior to that, so we are moving people, but not as fast as we'd like to. And unfortunately, the Ukraine situation, it is top priority for a lot of people right now. Do you ever, I mean, now that we're seven months past and you, if listeners don't know, Dave was known as Canadian Dave on the ground because he was the man to find to help you get out if you had proper documentation at the time. Um, have you ever, have you heard from anyone who came to you back then since and, and what have they told you? Yeah, yeah, we're we're still in contact with quite a few people that made it to Canada. You know, there's uh, there's some good folks that are back there. They're, you know, they're still struggling because now you know they left with nothing. Now they're back in Canada trying to adjust to the Canadian culture. You know, you, you have to realize, you know, they went through the summer, the fall, the winter. Now you know, and 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 
So there's been a lot happening, um, but in a slow pace for them, I guess. And they realize that there's still a lot of family members left behind. Um, they too are worried and wondering what's next, uh, what's what's in store for them. Um, some of them, did we make the right choice in coming to Canada? And um, the answer for me is obviously yes, but uh, I'm not the one in their shoes. So we've had we've had some discussions, and I know a lot of our people on our teams they're in close contact with a lot of a lot of them, and we have a lot of uh, Afghan friends that we got out that are working with Amalora to assist getting other people in contact. So we're in touch with them all all the time. Dave Lavery, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. And keep up the good work and uh, good luck on your trip back to uh, back to Ukraine and Poland. Thank you, Ben.